Well, one of the things that we have learned as parents is that God likes to stretch us. And uh, God uses things to help us grow, and uh, he often does it in a sanctifying way, although at times it doesn't feel like it, amen? It feels like, oh, I don't like this, but God begins to draw out what is in us of our flesh and of our selfishness. The other day, um, so in teaching our kids uh, to save money and not just to spend it, we have a few kids who can be very impulsive, and uh, yes, Leah forgot her medication this morning, so she's on edge, <laughs> or we forgot it, I should say. But uh, Jessa is, we were like, okay, Jessa, save your money. And she really, like, what would you want to save your money for? And she said, oh, I want some chinchillas and, uh, or a chinchilla. And so, you know, knowing us, we're like, uh, okay. You know, so she, like, we almost thought, you know, is she ever going to be able to do this? I mean, a gerbil or a hamster is like, you know, $30, $40. Chinchillas, you go to Petco, they're like 150 So we're like, if you can do that, like... So this summer, she set her mind to saving money, and guess what? Oh, yeah, she did it. And uh, so she got to 100 and she said, I'm going to save $100. And we'll start looking once she gets $100, and we're like, oh, they cost 150 So good, Whew. <laughs> no, and uh, so we start searching, but guess what? On Craigslist, you can find used chinchillas <laughs> for $100, and uh, so sure enough, we had, she spent a week working with uh, my dad. Or we were reshingling his roof, um, you know, to help, yeah, to help him out. He got insurance money. He has to pay it to someone, so he asked, and for us, I didn't have a... a a real job this summer, so no, I did have some, but uh, time in between, so we're like, okay, we can do that, and uh, so she earned her money up on the roof, and yep, up on the roof, pulling nails, and cleaning up old shingles, and on the ground, and anyway, and uh, so we got her chinchilla. Now, for Megan, is this a stretch for you, Megan? Yes. Why is this such a stretch? Uh, her greatest you know, phobia, fear, disgust is any rodent. And uh, if you don't know what chinchillas are, they aren't as ugly as a rat, but they, they are in the rodent family, and uh, they are very close to that. So Megan is now being stretched to do what she would never do and own a, a, a rodent, and uh, she doesn't like me to call him that. A cute chinchilla, nice and fuzzy and soft. And, uh, and, and she's being stretched. But how often does God do that to us? I mean, doesn't he? I mean, this, it's like, and here's the thing. When someone you love loves something, does that begin to change your heart? Okay, okay. Because Jessa loves animals, and she loves these chinchillas, and so my wife is beginning to say, okay. Now, when we love someone... The things they love and are dear to them, obviously, if it's not something wrong and evil and bad, you know, it begins to say, well, okay. And, and one example uh, you find is even music. Like, oh, I don't necessarily love the songs my parents love, but I love them. And when I see them, and, and, or my kids, I don't always love the songs my kids love, but when I see them learning to worship and love Christ and, and that, it's like I begin 
to, it begins to shape me and change me, right? And God begins to do it. Not only is it with my family, as you begin to love Jesus more, do you ever start to love the things he loves more? I hope so. I mean, that's one of the things he wants. That's what sanctification is about, is we are being conformed to the image of the Son, Jesus Christ. And, and, and that journey isn't easy, but it's a work he does in shaping us and molding us to be conformed to the image of his Son. And he knows that takes time. In fact, with his own disciples, he was, he was working on them the whole time they followed Christ together. Even if you read those last, the last week I mean, uh, sometimes I think half the gospel is about that last week of his ministry. And you see, even then, so much going on as he's discipling and, and, and working on his disciples as they're arguing about who's the greatest. Will that have anything to do with the kingdom of God? No, but yet, here they are, even after he just washed their feet, walking to the Mount of Olives or Garden of Gethsemane, uh, in their Garden of Gethsemane, but it says that they were singing him, but Luke records they're arguing about who's the greatest. Like, how does this fit together? But Jesus is, is discipling them all along. And in John 21, you see, even after his death and resurrection, another opportunity comes to speak into their life and encourage them to understand his heart and invites them to adopt his heart. Because that's a choice we all make, and it's an invitation he gives, and he starts this way. And I'm going to read John 21, but the first thing I want you to see is he invites us first to experience his love and grace. He invites us into this experience of his love and grace. In John 21, after these things, Jesus manifested himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. So this is after his crucifixion, after his resurrection. He's already appeared twice. This is the third time he appears. And he manifested. To manifest himself is he wants to make it clear. This is who I am. This is what I'm about. I, I want you to know this is me. I'm alive and well. And he did it in this way. Simon Peter and Thomas called Didymus and Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other of his disciples were together. And Simon Peter says to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, we will also come with you. So they went out, got into the boat, and that night they caught nothing. So who led this party? Simon Peter. Who is Simon Peter? He's one of the disciples. Many of us say he was the head disciple, right? He, he, he was kind of the upfront, stick your foot in your mouth. I'm in, you know, not afraid to lead, but at times messed up. But you know what? Uh, God was the one, or Jesus said upon this rock, Peter, I'll build my church. You're, not, you're no longer um, Simon. Now you'll be called Peter, Petros, the rock. And, and uh, you know, he became really one of the leaders of that early church. And, and what does Simon suggest and the others follow along? I am going where? I'm going to go win people for Christ, right? No, he says, I'm going back to work. Because he was, by trade, a fisherman. I'm going back to work. This following Jesus stuff has got me, I don't know, just frustrated, worn out, disillusioned, a little bit discouraged. I mean, I thought Jesus was the Messiah. He was going to rule and reign as king. Like, 
I just don't get this. This isn't how it's supposed to happen. And so I'm going back fishing. And they said, well, we'll come with you. We'll come with you. And so here they go. They go out fishing. And, um, you know, Jesus in his love and his grace, he knows we need it. We need that grace. Despite the emotions, despite it's kind of a time of decision and we might make the wrong decision, but the journey we're on, even through wrong decisions, often can lead us to a conviction to make a right decision. To say, you know what, when I, when I lied to my parents and grandparents, well, what happened to my cousin? It developed within me a conviction. It's not worth it. You know, you live in agony for years, and all you have to do is confess it and deal with the consequences, but it's way less than the Holy Spirit nagging you, you know? Like, you learn conviction even through mistakes, and, and, and he's letting Peter learn even now. Go fishing. Maybe he even felt wounded by the setback, the failed expectations in his own failure. What had Peter done on the night of Jesus' arrest? He denied him. I don't even know this man. He denied him three times. The shame of denial. I just, I don't even want to be known as a follower of Jesus. I, you know, if people hear what I did, what will they think? And there was security in the familiar. We need God's love and grace, don't we? We all want to go back to the easy thing, the familiar thing, the thing we grew up with just to get away and say, okay. But we need to know Jesus is the divine Messiah. We need to know this. And, and Jesus, again, displays that. As day was breaking, Jesus stood on the beach the disciples did not know that it was Jesus, so Jesus said to them, Children, you do not have any fish, do you? It's a statement, not a question. He knew. They answered him, Well, no, he says to them, Well, cast the net on the right-hand side of the boat. And if you're a fisherman, you know how much of a difference that makes. Amen? I've been fishing here. Let me fish over here. All night. They've caught nothing. They're fishermen, goodness sake. Oh, goodness. Who does this guy think he is, Right? So they cast, and then they were not able to haul it in because of the great number of fish. All night, no fish. Other side, overloaded. Like, what is Jesus on, putting on display here? He is the divine Messiah. Peter, if you were wondering if he's the Messiah or not, don't wonder anymore. Don't wonder. He is. He's in control of all creation on the throne, and it says that one day every knee in heaven and on earth will bow and everyone proclaim that Jesus Christ is God. That's yet to come. But right now, he is. This is where he's at. He is the Messiah. He's in control of all creation. And he cares for our needs. He knows they hadn't caught any fish. Sometimes he sends us through time of need so that he can meet our need and we can say, whoa, I was thinking I would meet my own need but Jesus, I know I need you to meet my need. God provides. And he provides in an abundant way. Not just a few fish, but so many fish, a great number of fish. And it goes on to say that the nets were so full of fish 
But um, in verse 11, they drew the net to land full of large fish, 153. They had to count how many there were, apparently. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. I mean, this was not just, oh, yeah, we catch this many all the time. This is, I can't believe we caught this many. I can't believe it didn't ruin the nets. It was beyond the normal. God cares. He knows our need. He even has a meal ready for them uh, as they come up on shore. Simon Peter recognizes it's the Lord, so he, throw, he throws himself into the sea and swims up there. I mean, this is Jesus. And Jesus there, it says, has a fire, fish on it, and bread, and, and he, he cares for them. He sustains them. You know, in, I mean, they were working all night. They were probably hungry. Jesus knows what we need, and he's there as our bread of life, our living water. He wants to sustain us and carry us through. And he gives us strength beyond our ability and capacity then to, to as the Messiah, as the king of creation, he wants to empower and enable us to do what he calls us to in his provision. And he invites them into fellowship. He says, come and have breakfast. When they'd say, we want to go fishing, he says, come, have breakfast. Revelation 3.20, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come in and I'll sup with him and he with me. He, he, wants, to, he wants to have breakfast. He wants to fellowship with us. Uh, as Sandy said, the College of Prayer, one of the greatest reminders I've had in attending those is just to abide in his presence. Am I allowing him to fill me in this invitation? We need his love and his grace. And as we experience that, as we are filled up, as we are nourished, as we are uh, re-grounded in who he is, that's where, that's where the, the roots of ministry flow. It's not in a duty of do it or else, or you're a member, aren't you, so why aren't you? Uh, it, it's, it's a call. It's a call to abide in your Savior. Even when we make decisions to go fishing, he's calling us to come to abide in him. And that then leads us, verse 15, to this interaction that that Jesus has with Peter. And, and there's a beauty in this because of what Peter has been through and in needing, not just needing to be condemned and criticized and pointed out of, you denied me three times, you better shape up, I've got my eye on you, but rather, it's this invitation back on healthy ground into ministry that Jesus provides. And, and here's the question. He asks it three times. When they had finished breakfast, after their fellowship together, Jesus says, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, well, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of John, in this question, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, shepherd my sheep. And he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said it to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things and you know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. What's the question Jesus asks? 
He doesn't say, why aren't you? He says, do you love me? This is the question we need to ask ourselves. Do we love him? The first time he says, do you love me more than these? What are the these? Probably what I think the these is, some would say he's comparing himself to the other disciples. No, I think it's saying the fish, the boat, the, the nets that are overloaded. Jesus is saying, you know, here's a great provision of fish. If you want to go fish, blessings. You know? But if you want to follow me, do you love me more than all of this? And it's an invitation to step in to the work Jesus has for him. And, and this idea of love is, is saying um, the great commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. Loving him isn't just saying, oh yeah, I, I've grown up worshiping Jesus and going to church all my life. He's saying, do you love me more than all the other things? Because so often religion can be just a part of life along with everything else. And he's saying it's, it's not just about doing things. It's about do you love me? Do you know who I am? Do you love me more than that? Uh, the comparison could be to the rich young ruler, and I don't have time to explain the whole story, but as he came up and told Jesus, I want to follow you, Jesus knew his heart, and he says, well, then go sell all your possessions and come follow me. And he had this choice. Do I love you more than these? More than my wealth, more than my possessions, more than all that, and he, and he couldn't do it. Because if Jesus is the creator, the Messiah, God himself, divine, if, if he is God, then, then our stuff is, is, we are stewarding for his glory. It's about him, not about that. And there's a, in a way, as we put our faith in him, there's necessarily a choice we're making of what am I choosing to make great, to worship, to give worth to in my life. And, and this question of worship is something at the heart we all have to answer. Is do we love him more? The call in Jesus' question is, is, do you love me? And in the Greek, what you see is this, um, these two terms used. We, in English, have a term love. But in Greek, there were actually four terms for love. And here, there are two of them being used. And Jesus says, do you agapo... Ag it's the... The verb form of agape, agapao, um, but do you agape me? What is agape love? It's a self-sacrificing, it's a, it's a choice. Like I've thought through it and I'm choosing this, even though I may want this, I'm saying, no, this, it's a self-sacrificing, unconditional love that says, I'm making this choice. I love you. And Peter says, you know that I phileo you. Phileo love is a brotherly love, an emotion, you know, emotional. Oh man, hey brother, good to see you today. Okay, you love me, but do you will you choose to sacrifice and to and to make that decision to love me? Right, we have brothers, but when they're going through a hard time, do we choose to love them? You know, oh, you know, you deal with your own junk. We're here for the fun times, right? He, he says, I flat owe you. You're my bro. But do you agape me? 
And he says, well, okay, if you love me as a brother, then learn to love what I love. This love isn't just duty. Uh, in, in a way, Jesus uh, was asked at one point, you know, when we love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and this is something that, that we are, com- in a way, committing ourselves to, saying, wow, I recognize who he is. Lord, I'm going to follow you. Uh, Jesus was approached by a lawyer, recorded by Luke, Luke 10. What's the greatest commandment of all? And Jesus says, well, you tell me. And he says, well, it's to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is to love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said, great, do this, and you'll have eternal life. And well, then he began to realize, wanting to justify himself, well, well, um, well who's my neighbor? And so what does Jesus tell him? He tells him the story of the Good Samaritan. And, and if you're familiar with it, you know in this story, he paints a picture of three people who have an opportunity to be a neighbor to a man who gets beat up, left by the roadside. The first guy who comes by, and I might mix these up in order, but I think is a priest. I mean, this is someone, a priest, is someone who serves God in the temple, doing the work, and he comes along, and is he a neighbor to the man? Well, no, it says he walks by on the other side of the road. In our duty of serving God, oh man, I can't, I can't get myself unclean. I can't get myself messy. I've got duties. I'm on my way to serve God in the temple. I can't stop and take care of, you know, mess myself up with this. And on he goes. Then comes by a Levite. Levites, uh, in a similar manner, are people who are dedicated to serving the Lord. A little different responsibility and role, but, but nonetheless... That's what, they're, that's what they're set apart for. They're, and, and also he does the same thing. On the other side of the road, passes on by. Two people who are called to serve. Serving and loving isn't just a duty. It's a matter of heart. And so then he says, then a Samaritan comes by. You know, Samaritans, oh, they were, they were the half-breeds, the rejects. Culturally, they're... What? A Samaritan? He's the one that stops and shows love. And, and, and Jesus is showing it's not out of duty. It's not a position. It's a heart. Without love, I can speak with the tongues of men and angels. I can stand up here and preach to you great sermons. The question is, am I going to be willing to love you? Because without love, it profits nothing. I can have all faith, even so as to move mountains. I can give generously all I have to the poor, but without love, it profits nothing. And Jesus, again, he, he knows, I don't just want you to fulfill a duty. I don't want you just to go through the motions and miss the heart of the Father. And in fact, as you read on in Luke chapter 15, you begin to see how Jesus is dining with tax collectors and sinners and how the Pharisees look at him and say, how dare he? And they say, you know what? This is the heart of God. And he tells the story of, of the prodigal son who's lost. He, he's, and, and most people would think, well, he deserves all that's coming to him. Yeah, but when he turns back to the father, where is the father's heart? He is waiting He is ready to forgive. He runs to him. He kills the fattened calf. He puts the cloak back on him. And how does the older son feel about that? I'm not going into that party. 
Why? Because he's not serving out of love for the Father, out of understanding his heart. He's serving out of duty. He missed the Father's heart in all of that. And Jesus invites him in. Do you love me? Do you know my heart? And what we begin to see is that Jesus has a heart for people. He has a heart for the lost. He has a heart for others. And and he invites us to love them as he does. They're made in the image of God. They are his representatives on the earth, not just the believers, but people in the image of God have worth, have value, have sanctity. And, And Jesus says in Matthew 25 even, and he says to people who come and, and he says, you know what, blessed are you because you, you fed me when I was hungry. You clothed me when I was naked. You visited me when I was in prison. When I was sick, you came and, and took care of me. When I was thirsty, you gave me a drink. And they said, well, when did we do that? And he said, what, whatever you've done to the least of these brothers of mine and sisters, you did for me. His heart is one of love. And he invites us into that. Do you love me? And as we learn to love Jesus, we learn to love the things he loves, even if it's a rodent. Ah, I have to love that, you know. But we love the people he loves. And that leads us then to the call. And that third point is to shepherd my sheep, to tend my lambs, and to tend my sheep. If we love Jesus, we love what he loves, and we want to care for people and care for his flock. And, and really, one of the things I realize is they're not just sheep. Ugh. What we begin to learn is this is his bride. This is his bride. Do we love the people he's designed to welcome in to his eternal home, dressed in all of her radiance and beauty and glory and presented as the bride of Christ? I mean, this is the work he wants to do. And, and do we love them like that? And if we do, it it starts even with what we could say is those that are most difficult, the kids. Aren't they a handful? I am not called to be a children's minister. Anyone else? Amen. But I tell you what, do you know how impressionable kids are? And if you can reach them, and I know even as a parent, we've dealt with this, and especially through our adoptions, you've got to connect with them while they're young, especially, and and, and we, there were some struggles we had, and we're now reaping the consequences and trying to overcome that, and by God's grace, we will. But it's not always easy. But God's at work, and, and connecting with them. I think I heard one time in a parenting uh, from, from someone who studies you know, child development and all that, they said, the amount of time you spend with your kids when they're two years old is, is, uh, relates to the amount of time you'll get to spend with them when they're teenagers. Because you, you shape them to, be, to interact with you, that you want a conversation, you want a relationship with them. It's not just do what I say, and as long as you do it, you're fine. Attachment theory of how parents and children, um, how they learn to trust you and love you. I mean, it's phenomenal how that all works. But that's what God calls us to, is to love. He calls us to feed them, to tend them, to care for their needs. When they cry, you're there. Why? Because they have a need and they learn. I can call and you care. And so we need to care for their needs. But 
involves uh, tending, which is feeding, providing, nourishing. Then he says, shepherd my sheep. The shepherding is more as they age, as they get older. I don't spoon feed my kids anymore. Praise the Lord, right? I, you know, we give them more and more freedom because with that freedom, they learn responsibility. And as they get older, I don't just have to feed them. Now I get to shepherd them. I, I point them, I lead them, I guide them to the next pasture and they go feed themselves. They don't stray too far. They know what's safe and what's not. But the lambs, you got to watch out. They'll wander, they'll stray and, and draw them back in. We see this growth that happens and as they're young, feeding them both the, the spiritual milk of the word, which comes as we, we learn about who Christ is. We get a hunger for it, a desire for it. It talks about in First Peter chapter 2, Hebrews chapter 5. It talks about then moving on from the milk to the meat for the mature who have their senses trained so that they can discern between right and wrong. And no longer am I there spoon-feeding them. Now they're going out, uh, and it's fun to see my older daughters and Lord willing, choosing, making choices, sometimes wrong, but through it all, um, you know, they're learning, they're growing, they're developing convictions. And, and to allow God to mature them. So to shepherd is to guide, to direct, to point them in the right way. But also, even then, feeding my sheep, we still prepare meals. We still set them before them. Now, sometimes they'll get home late. They'll get their own meal. And, and spiritually speaking, by the time you're older as a Christian, I mean, do you still depend on me to digest the word and to spoon feed you? I hope, I mean, I hope this is nourishing, but I hope you're learning to do that yourself and to grow and to connect and to walk with Christ yourself. But does it hurt for me to do that? No, not at all. There's still a need to feed sheep. And this is what he calls us to. If we love him. In my philosophy of ministry, I've been, I've been maturing, and I love to do ministry. And maybe this is transitioning into a few questions that might be asked or a few things I might share afterwards. But I've been maturing to become not just someone who likes to feed lambs or feed sheep, I'm, I'm really wanting to learn what does it mean to shepherd and even to multiply shepherds. Because if I'm the only shepherd in this room, there's going to be a lot of sheep that might go hungry because I can't nourish and feed and, and lead and guide every single one of you to the degree a good shepherd would know his sheep and care for them and lead and guide and direct and, and as much as our culture, uh, you know, that's what, we've, that's what we often learn and see uh, more and more, what I'm realizing is I, I want to be a part of a culture that multiplies shepherds, that, that equips you to shepherd someone. And again, you don't have to be an expert teacher, but, but to care for. Maybe, and this is, I see this in the Awana program, they are intentionally changing how they do Awana. If you've if you've been a part of TNT, you've seen this. I have for the last four years. They have new books, but even a new format. They're doing small group time where, where instead of just book time where you come and say your verses and you know, get your awards and all that, 
It's saying, no, we want you as a, as a leader to shepherd them. Shepherd them. And, and, and we want to see shepherding multiplied. In 2 Timothy 2.2, 2, uh, 2, 2, uh, Paul says this to Timothy, the things which you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. He was encouraging Timothy to equip other shepherds who could, who could then teach others also that this, this shepherding could continue. I see Peter himself um, calling people to this in 1 Peter chapter 4 and 5. And here he says, each of you has received a special gift, so use it in serving as good stewards of this manifold grace of God. It's the overflowing grace of God that's at the root. And he says, so if you speak, do so as if you're proclaiming the very words of God. And if you're serving by the very strength God supplies, so that in all things God may be glorified. That happens through each of us, serving, speaking, uh, doing our part in the body, but also to build up the body and and increase God's glory. Um, But then in chapter 5, he says, as you mature... And those who are the most mature, even the elders among you, I want to see this um, as a fellow elder, as a witness of the sufferings of Christ, partaker of the glory. If we've witnessed who Christ is, if we've partaken of the glory, and this was last week, we're transformed by the glory of God, we begin then to encourage him to shepherd the flock of God among you, providing oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily. Do you love me? Do you love me? I'm not going to make you do this. But if you love Jesus, step up in maturity and begin to care for, to shepherd, um, not for your own gain, but according to the will of God, with eagerness. Not lording it over, hey, I'm in charge here, but, but humbly, by example, to the flock, pointing them to the great shepherd. He's the one that will reward you. And to recognize this, this, this growing maturity of believers as we're abiding in fellowship, we're asking that question, do we love Jesus? And as we follow him and love him, are we willing to step out and and shepherd others, lead others to do the same? Uh, Dear Lord, as as, uh, I wrap up my message and my time here, Lord, I thank you for the work you're doing in my life, but there's so much further I have to go in in living this out well. Uh, And so, Lord, help me to do that. Help me uh, not just to, to, as fun as it is to preach a great message, uh, to learn from your word and to be able to share that with others, Lord, help us to equip each one here to dive into your word, to be nourished by it, and to develop a heart that's eager to pass on this good news of your grace, of your love for people like Peter, for people like me who've, who've struggled or even failed or, or, or in the past or At times we get disillusioned or even aren't sure of what to do next, Lord, but yet you invite us in. May we grow in our love for you. May we really understand how much you've loved us, that you would sacrifice yourself. You would make that choice to to set aside the glory of heaven and humble yourself even to the point of death on a cross. Lord, may that same mindset be in us, one of love, one of investing, one of caring for individuals right where they're at. May we love as you do. May we build into others as you did to us. And may your work continue because your glory, Lord, is what ultimately is is the greatest good 
for all of us and for all of this world. In your name we pray.